everybody, and welcome to another episode of Adventures in DevOps. This week on our panel, we have Jeff Groman. He's hey, being real quiet. I'm great. I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. And I'm just going to shout out about two things I'm working on real quick. One is I'm working on a most valuable developer course to help you kind of be that go-to person on your team. You can find that at mostvaluable.dev. And I'm also working on a podcasting course. And you can find out more about that at podcastplaybook.co. We have a special guest this week, and that's Guinevere Sanger. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Have you ever wondered if you could be offering a faster, less buggy experience for your customers? I mean, let's face it. The only way you're going to know that is by actually running it on production. So go figure it out, right? You run it on production, but you need something plugged in so that you can find out where those issues are, where it's slowing down, where it's having bugs. You just you need something like that there. And Raygun is awesome at this. They they just added the performance monitoring, which is really slick, and it works like a breeze. I, I just I love it. I love it. It's like it's like you get the ray gun and you zap the bugs. It's anyway, definitely go check it out. It's gonna save you a ton of time, a ton of money, a ton of sanity. I mean, let, let's face it, grepping through logs is no fun. And having people not able to tell you that it's too slow because they got sidetracked into Twitter is also not fun. So go check out Raygun. They are definitely going to help you out. There are thousands of customer-centric, customer-focused software companies who use Raygun every day to deliver great experiences for their customers. And if you go to Raygun and use our link, you can get a 14-day free trial. So you can go check that out at adventuresindevopspodcast.com slash Raygun. Yeah. So do you want to just give us a quick rundown of who you are and why you're famous and all that stuff? <laughs> sure. I'm not entirely sure I'm famous, but so again, my name is Guinevere. I'm a platform developer at GitHub and I work with Kubernetes as the backend and all the product developers at GitHub who are shipping their apps and so I'm sort of the interface between the backend and how we do work at GitHub. And it's been a super fun time and it's been really rewarding. In terms of famousness, I did lead a Kubernetes release about a year ago. So nice. um, that's that's been a little bit of slightly different challenge. More on the people wrangling and less on the computer wrangling in that case. Very cool. Yeah, it's funny. Every time I talk to people from GitHub, I'm always like, I remember back in the day when Chris and Tom started GitHub and it was just this really convenient place to put your code. And now it's where everybody puts their code. So it's it's awesome. It, it's pretty yeah. great being behind the scenes there. So I... Uh... It's it, it's been really interesting. I've not been there since the early days. I, mm -hmm. uh, I'm approaching my two-year hubiversary. So it's been super fun. And part of that is because of my team's place in the org structure and what we do and who we work with. Makes sense. So I'm a little curious just to dive in here. First of all, have things changed much since Microsoft acquired GitHub? So everyone always asks that. And 
some things changed and some things stay the same. And right. I'm not necessarily the best person to answer that because I joined after the acquisition. Okay. Um, it so, feels like it was more recent to me. But. Yeah, it it does not. I, having never worked at Microsoft proper before, it still doesn't entirely feel like Microsoft. We're definitely GitHub with our own culture, our own values, our own processes. So Very cool. Okay. Well, that's... That's understandable. So I guess the other question is, is it some at a place like GitHub then? Yeah, how do you approach infrastructure? And I want to say hardware, but that's not really it. It's, you know, it's containerization, orchestration, all of the stuff that, yeah, we kind of talk about on the show on a regular basis. Yeah, so we have, we have actually grown a lot in the last year or so. And Containerization has definitely been a thing that the company at large has pushed more towards. But in the context of my platform team and what we do, this relates a little bit to how GitHub was one of the first adopters of Kubernetes as a container orchestration strategy. I think about three years ago, 2017, GitHub decided we are going to go all in and run github.com on Kubernetes. And that happened. There is a famous KubeCon talk about this, not by me. Go look it up. <laughs> and there is a, and when I started, I used to be on the team that maintained the Kubernetes clusters and the platform and, and the deploy tooling. And that has since been broken up. And now I'm mostly focusing on the platform. Uh, work so, yeah. Well, what I... what what's the difference in responsibility then, right? Because um, when you say platform, it seems like everybody has a different way of looking at that. Yeah, yeah. So, in a way, what we try to do is we try to empower everyone who writes code and applications at the company to own their own production process, to be able to ship their code to production without having to rely on humans to okay it, right? We are, and in that sense, we are sitting in a little bit of a mentoring position where we have to teach our internal customers, hey, this is how you deploy your own stuff, which mm -hmm. basically means two things. A, we're telling them, sorry, we're not your ops team. We're building the automation for you to own your entire product front to back. And it also means we have to make really smart decisions on what kind of things we present to our internal customers, our users, because it's not always as obvious as just twisting some buttons, right? At the point where we're asking our users to know in integral parts about how Kubernetes works, we have failed, right? It's kind of this balance between what parts do we, what part of the moving infrastructure do we hide or abstract away for, you know, for a better term and which parts do we make available? So as an example, how many pods, how many instances of your app do you want to run in production is absolutely something that our users need to have and should have control over. How many resources are you using in production? Those are all things that they should know. However, how do you specifically configure Kubernetes namespaces so that your app 
knows how to talk to other apps, that's not really something that they should have to handle. That stuff should just work. So yeah, it's and in, in that sense, we work with the deploys team, we work with the related infrastructure teams to make sure that we're all on the same page and to make sure that, you know, we communicate down pain points from our customers and then we communicate back up, hey, all right, you can do this extra special thing that you're asking for, but in that sense, you're kind of on your own. If you want the happy path, we provide that. So it's a mix of expectation management and technology management. And it can be really challenging at times, but also just super fun and interesting. That is interesting. I I just talked for a long time there. Sorry. No, no, it's all good. (laughs) I mean, that's what we brought you here for, right? (laughs) But yeah, it's interesting that we're talking about some of the, you know, interpersonal stuff because... What I find in a lot of cases is, yeah, there are some judgment calls you make with technology, but anymore, I mean, writing and deploying software, managing systems, it's it heavily involves being able to communicate with other humans. And where you fail at that is usually where you fail at, you know, it, it manifests in the, the technical issues you have crop up. And so... Yeah, that's really interesting, at least from my standpoint, in, yeah, how you make these decisions and how you communicate them to other people. Do you have a set of criteria that you work from, or do you tend to sort of have a a scrum or a, you know, a conference call or, you know, have everybody come in the same room and draw on a whiteboard? What's your process for, you know, making some of these decisions and communicating the expectations and getting expectations from your customers. Yeah, I um, I want to start out by saying we can't just go into a room and write on a whiteboard. My company is a remote first company and most of engineering is remote. And that is actually the case regardless of the health status of the world. Side note, pandemics are fun, but work has changed very little for us in engineering at GitHub. But yeah, so our our process is has fortunately been really, really human to human. We run support channel where people can go and ask their deploy-related questions. We have extensive documentation that we keep up to date, and we have a way to we have a way to get people to, you know, I always, so I come a little bit from an open source background. So I always ask people, Hey, you know what? I haven't heard your question before. Can you please file an issue against our docs or against our team repo so that we can, you know, follow up and so that other people can see that we've had this conversation before. One funny thing about GitHub is that We do everything with GitHub, so project management issue filing, that all looks actually very, very similar to what you'd see on GitHub, the website, except it's, of course, in our private repo, private org, sorry. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a bit of a brain twister, but, but yeah. So we do some customer surveys. We do company-wide customer surveys as well. And our platform tends to do really well. And I think our secret sauce is that we offer somewhat more control than you would get from, say, cloud provider like AWS. You just ship your code to a rent-a-computer, right? 
but then the control is out of your hands and you can't, you know, and then you have to add all these tools to monitor, observe, and, and they're owned by someone else. So part of what makes all of this so fun is that we get to make our own decisions and come up with a solution that fits best for GitHub. And so when, when we make decisions, we come together and draft proposals. And of course, we have to run that by our management chain and by the business needs. And sometimes we just get handed down initiatives, right? And But sometimes we see this is what our customers need. And fortunately, our tool has been like super well-received. The way it works is that we work directly with our customers. So they come into the support channel, which works via chat. And usually one of us is on call for that. It's not really technically on call. It's more of a support rotation. And we answer deploy-related questions. And we send people to the right team if we're not the team to answer. And we also just offer to hop on a Zoom call and do some pair programming and debugging together. And it's that coming together that, really makes the secret sauce for me. Sometimes I get people who are used to a different development workflow, like, you know, hey, here's my app. Can you deploy it for me? And so then we have to have some adjustment of expectation, right? We have to say friend, we have to say friendly things like, oh no, you just push these buttons and then your app should just deploy for you magically. And they're like, really? What? <laughs> and Sometimes you get people that are that are reporting issues with our process and then we help them out and we get together and work with them. And everyone always really likes it because they get to connect with other teams and they get to see what everyone else is doing. And sometimes we even have super fans hanging out in our support channel and answering questions that maybe they have figured out for themselves. And that's always really, really enjoyable to see. I like giving support. It's really fun to have someone come in and say, hey, I need some help with this. But it's a two-sided street, right? If we approach each other as equals, right, we are building mm -hmm. these tools for you to use. And our customers are coming in, hey, we're using your tools and they're not working for us. How can we figure this out, right? If you both come together, as equals and with respect, then really awesome things can happen, right? We learn what our users need and they learn what the best processes are, right? right. I mean, I'm sure we've all encountered that one customer who wants this really, really, really specific thing <laughs> and yes. really desperately wants that container specifically as a container address. And we're telling them, yeah, okay, but the minute the node has pressure on it and your pod falls over, you have to like rewrite your code. Do you really want that? I want you to think about this. <laughs> so. <Yep. laughs> well, and it's it's funny too because... I mean, some people, it, it comes off of, I watched a YouTube video or something like that, right? Or, and I wanted to try this out. And other people, at least in my experience, you know, I ran IT for a while. This was a long time ago, though. Yeah, it's, I mean, people get ideas from all over the place. And it's interesting to see what, what you can make work and what you can't. Are, are there things that are absolutely off limits? So, again, these, these things 
These things evolve. There are definitely some features that we no longer officially support that would 100% work. For example, one of the things we do internally is we have a very, very sophisticated load balancer that can balance across Kubernetes clusters. We actually have an open source tool that that it's called Cube Service Exporter, and it uses console, I believe. Yeah, it uses console to store a set of keys um, with which you can then use to tell the load balancer to pretend that different services coming from different clusters are one and the same service. And it can run decisions based on those types of things. In, in any case, our, uh, our load balancer uses that particular kind of setup. And so every once in a while, we get customers that just want one instance of their app and never more than that. This happens a lot with, with cron jobs too, um, where they're like, no, we really only want the job to run in one cluster. And we do have a paved mm-hmm. path for that because it happens so often. But it used to be, that you could choose which particular Kubernetes cluster your app would be deployed to. And we have since stopped that because it just created too much churn. The way that we manage clusters at GitHub is, well, as soon as a new, let's say not major version, that's not a thing, a new minor version comes out, (laughs) Kubernetes is still on one point. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 1.20, I think, is the current one that is being developed and planned for. So anyway, sorry, I I got super distracted here. Anyway, every time a new Kubernetes version comes out, our new clusters are going to be equipped with that version and older clusters are going to be shut down. We don't do minor upgrades from version to version. So, but that's how we stay in sync and the load balancer handles the rest, right? So that means that if you are deploying to a specific single cluster and that cluster gets you know, turned down, then your app is dead. So mm-hmm. we have since moved from that type of choice to strongly advertising different ways of doing that. And we have made it possible to deploy to a single cluster, but it involves a lot more tweaking and a lot more manual work on part of our users. And that's okay, because that means that they are extremely conscious and extremely explicit about where they're deploying to. And that means that we can discover which apps are singleton apps. We can, and users themselves can see, oh yeah, oh yeah, that cluster doesn't exist anymore. Gotcha, gotcha, that's, that's what happened. Okay, cool. It's, it's, it's more, it's again, managing expectations. Mm-hmm. Cloud computing has changed the way we live do business, and stay connected. With everyone using the same cloud platforms, winning and losing comes down to having the best talent to build products better and faster. So whether you're an aspiring innovator looking to level up or a business harnessing the transformative power of the cloud, tech skills and cloud certifications have never been more important. Cloud Academy has thousands of video courses, learning paths, practical hands-on labs, and real-world cloud environments and tools designed to help teams assess, build, and validate critical cloud skills. More importantly, Cloud Academy stays agile, challenging you with new content, labs, and tons of features that ensure your skills stay relevant and everyone can level up. They cover everything from major certifications to DevOps, security to programming languages. Cloud Academy is the cloud training platform of choice for Fortune 500 companies and thousands of tech professionals around the world. 
Don't just take their word for it. Check out the reviews on G2 and get started now at cloudacademy.com. For a limited time, our listeners can lock in a 50% off the monthly price for life. Just use the coupon code DEVOPS when checking out. It's a great way to pursue certifications or just cloud build expertise during this crazy time. Again, go to cloudacademy.com and use the coupon code DEVOPS to lock in 50% off the monthly price. So I'm just, I have more of an observation than, than I think, than a question, but I'm just sort of, uh, you know, getting back to, I think, what you guys were talking about a little bit earlier on with sort of the, just the rise in the, of popularity in GitHub. I, I think it's, to me, it's really interesting. I'll sort of date myself a little bit thinking about, you know, like the first revision control systems I used back in the day, it was like CBS and then... Um, <laughs> Good old days. Right, see? Subversion. <laughs> What's that? And then subversion, right? Yeah, and then subversion, exactly. And, and you know, it was interesting to me, at least my experience was that everyone was like really into SVN and then all of a sudden GitHub came and it just like, everyone just moved to it, to, just migrated to it. And uh, I, I don't know, you know, I, I, I don't have like a whole story about why that is or anything else. I just find it so interesting, especially just, you know, what's interesting to me though is just the, I guess the the flip side to, you know, the the convenience and the, what's what's the right word of just, I guess just the openness of being able to sort of put your project, you know, out on, on GitHub. And it's interesting to me to, to see, you know, the instances, again, I, I've got security backgrounds. So I'm always looking at things from, from a little bit of a different angle, but, you know, we're, we'll see that, you know, documents that were put onto GitHub have, you know, default passwords put into them and, you know, and, and now, yeah, you know, sort of cringe, <laughs> all the cringeworthy things that people will do, you know, back in the CVS days, you know, or, or subversion days, it wasn't really such a big deal because all that stuff was, was you know, hosted on site and you were probably controlling who had access to it. At least you should be. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and, and, you know, I think there was even a, there was a, there was a case, an interesting one to me, an interesting case of where a Ruby gem, I think there was like a pull request. It ends up getting merged back in a while, a while later. And it basically backdoors that, that gem. So that attackers are able to to you know sort of get into your project you know once you once you you know actually in a, in a running environment, so they don't happen often. I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't I don't want to make this out to be like wow, this is just the worst thing ever, the most you know insecure thing ever, and not like that at all. But it's just it's interesting to me. Like like I say, that sort of flip side of of just how popular it became so to me so quickly. But on the other hand, it's, you know, you just have to be a little bit more aware. I'm just curious, I guess. So here is my question, I guess, yeah. is do you see that? Do you see those cringeworthy things that, you know, that, that customers are doing that make you, be, you know, make you just look like, why did you, why did you commit that? Or, you know, why <laughs> is that up on a, on a, you know, on an open repository that anybody, you know, can look at or, or what have you? Yeah. So to be extremely clear, when I talk about customers, I talk about internal engineers, right? I don't talk about our GitHub users. I talk about the the people who use our deploy platform internally. So, however, I have a story, actually. This is This is kind of funny because Gosh, I don't remember. It's been a while, but I spent- I need to get popcorn for this. (laughs) Oh, no. Uh, So people have gotten used to using GitHub for all the things. One really great Mm -hmm. example for that is Go, right? The language, Golang. 
the way that you import Go code is you go get it and give it a GitHub URL. URL. Thank you. And I think there is now some verification, I think, ever since Go 113 or Go 114, which makes sure that it's safe and verified, which also breaks a ton of internal tooling because... So it breaks internal packages or it did break them. Anyway, there was a bunch of fun with that recently. But before this happened, there was a really unique feature. Gosh, if I remember this correctly, you could... Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A Go package was put into a different repo with a redirect from the old repo name. However... At GitHub, on the website on GitHub, it was possible to reclaim the namespace of the original repository. Mm-hmm. And this was something really deep down in the Golang toolchain, and it broke everyone's stuff for the better part of a day when somebody came along and said, ha, huh, I wonder if I can reclaim this namespace. Ha ha. And... I, I remember this very personally because I spent most of a day trying to, like my my tool had just started compiling and I was like, yes, it's working. And the very next time I ran it, it just broke. And I had, you know, I, I, I was very new to this. I think I was an intern at the time or I had just gotten my first full-time job. And I just, I definitely thought it was my fault and I spent most of a day digging into it until I finally tracked down this, this repo doesn't do what it doesn't import the dependent packages anymore because there's no main.go in it. Oh, what? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) So something like that, the details are probably fuzzy, but so that's one example where like GitHub as a way to share code can absolutely backfire. I'm not sure if you can still claim namespaces with a redirect. <laughs> Interesting. Huh? Yeah, that that's, that's certainly, <laughs> those are always fun ones, right? I mean, that's, yeah. And, and it's interesting how, how sometimes it's just the, I guess it always works this way. It's, it's those complexities or, or just, you know, intricacies that, we build into our infrastructure that end up sort of coming back and, you know, something, someone either long time ago forgot about or wasn't thinking about or, or what have you, but. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's. Or just that's, assumptions I'm, that people make right there. Nobody yeah. assumed that you would just, you know, pull a fast redirect and all of a sudden you own whatever package was supposed to be there. Right. It's not supposed to work that way. <laughs> <laughs> said every person ever <laughs> one of this is this actually um brings me to one of the things that's sometimes we forget that we are making solutions for real people and real processes not we're not trying to solve computer problems. We're trying to solve people problems and we're throwing computers at the people. And, you know, I like to joke that that like 80% of my toolkit when giving support is, well, did you like turn it off and on again? Like try it again, see what happens. Does it do different things? <laughs> and also what's my other big one? Uh, let's just throw more resources at it, that, yeah. Because a lot of the time that is 
actually the real solution. Like there was something broken in the network or a mm-hmm. node was down or some connection timed out and it was a, it's it's like a confluence of circumstances that probably won't happen the next time right like some of these things ultimately are unavoidable and if it unlocks someone right now from oh no my app isn't deployed then like giving it a retry is in my opinion a good first step And then afterwards, sometimes really the situation is, yeah, I didn't have enough resources. My, this is, this, again, you can look into, you can spend time into looking why your app is using that many resources and look for ways to reduce that. But that's not my job, right? I'm not here to solve someone else's software for them. I'm here to ship their software and make that possible. So if that means throw more machines at it for right now, if I can, then, and if it is reasonable, in fact, then let's do it. So, but the next part is I'm actually at, (laughs) and maybe this is entirely an ops way of saying it. I actually really like hard coding things because we don't need to solve for a level of complexity for all possible future solutions, right? We don't need to solve for all possible backends that are available to deploy on. We need to solve for the backends that it is most likely that your company is going to use right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to write a deploy platform that can handle anything from like Heroku to uh, what's the one Ansible to, you know, multi-cloud provider backends. That's not really, that's, that's not really something we need to solve for right now, right? So, you know, so if I just literally write down server names on some level, if we only have three servers, then there's really, really no point like to make it like brutally simple. Then yep. you should really just write down the server names as a string in your code and solve for that. Yep, absolutely. It makes it explicit. Mm-hmm. Sorry, yeah. I interrupted. <laughs> no, it's to- it's totally fine. And it's true, right? Because... You know, see, so add another server. Well, you just go update the array in your, your array of strings and your thing, and you're off to the races, right? And it's interesting too, because I've been doing a lot of career coaching with people lately, and I tell them to build their careers the same way, right? They're like, well, I, th- there's so much out there to learn. And I said, yeah, but in order for you to level up in your job, there are probably a handful of things you really need to be really good at, right? And then if you want to go work at that other place, then they probably have a handful of things you got to be really good at, right? And so pick the ones that you're not good at and do the rest, right? Or I want to go from being an individual contributor to a manager. Okay, well, I've got the four or five things that I'm really good at right now, and I've got to throw in communication and leadership, right? right? And so it's the same kind of thing. It's like, look, let's just optimize this for our use case. I don't need to know what AWS does because we're deploying it to our own Kubernetes clusters. Correct. Yeah. And and, and again, it's, it's another balance, right? Manage expectations. Yep. If I hard code it today, that doesn't mean I can't expand it tomorrow a lot of the time. Sometimes it does. Sometimes you code mm-hmm. yourself into a like corner and you're like, no, help. Yep. But especially with something like hard coding a server name, well, 
like you can write another piece of configuration that substitutes those as soon as you mm-hmm. have like hundreds and thousands of servers, right? As soon yeah. as it becomes impractical, then you automate. So yeah, what's what's the simplest thing that can possibly work, right? Exactly. I I just and 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 that way I also leave breadcrumbs for people, right? If 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 it for example, we have three test runs that our platform requires for it to work on your app for for deployment to 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 be a thing. Uh, one of the runs is a security run, the next one is a docker build and the final one is a config bundle. And the config bundle does all sorts of deploy logic. And if you don't have those you can't deploy, that makes total sense. But you can build all sorts of actions and integrations and test runs on your repository to your heart's content. You can even make them required. But in terms of our tooling, I'm I'm not going to write, I'm not going to abstract that away. I'm going to say there's three runs. These are their names. This is what I expect. I'm going to write some regular expression matching because this is what they need to look like. And that is our hard check. So that sounds maybe hacky to some, but I, I really don't know that it would provide a whole lot of benefit to people, to anyone really, just because I wrote something that's fancy and expandable. <laughs> yeah. uh-huh. Hey folks, one of the things that I find that really makes a difference for people being happy in their job is working in a place that makes a difference. And there's a terrific company out there that's looking to hire full stack developer just like you, and that's Faith Life. Their average tenure is five years. I mean, five years, that's forever in developer years. Usually I see people changing jobs every one to two years. People are sticking around because they're great. They have a great values-based culture and they are hiring developers in the United States. They're looking for full stack developers who can do C Sharp or JavaScript on the back end and React on the front end. Go check them out at devchat.tv slash faithlife. That's devchat.tv slash faithlife. The last segment of the show is picks. And we yeah. just shout out about great stuff that that is out there. So I mentioned at the start of the show, I'll do some picks first, that I'm working on a podcasting course at podcastplaybook.co. And I'm also working on a basically how to become the most valuable developer on your team. And that's at mostvaluable.dev. Besides that, I finished listening to a book series called The Lightbringer series by Brent Weeks. It's a fantasy book series. Mm-hmm. And they are awesome. I really, really have enjoyed those. They were recommended to me by my friend who actually... It's funny because he works for another fantasy author. He helps them manage their swag that they you can order from Brandon Sanderson's website. So, Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Brandon Sanderson lives like 15 minutes from here. And the, yeah, short, short long story is that they bought the house next door to them and that's where they run all that stuff out of and yeah so he actually invited me over and gave me a tour of the cosmere house and then and then yeah he mentioned brent weeks and so i went and checked it out great series so yeah that's that's amazing the the funny thing is is that one of my managers actually knows brandon sanderson his his side gig is being a writer so oh, okay. my manager is not brandon sanderson's um that's obviously right. his main gig um but uh yeah that's that's really funny to hear that 
come around. The world is really, really small. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I know people that know Brandon. So. Yeah. So. Gosh. I had misunderstood what picks means. So I will need a minute to think about that. Nope. It's all good. I'll throw out one more pick then while you're thinking. So my father-in-law, he's actually a funny story. So he's he's a general contractor and he's actually been remodeling my mom's kitchen. Just, yeah, for weirds, right? So he's working for my mom. And he was here the other day and we were watching shows and, you know, because my wife was hanging out with some friends and he mentioned Eureka, which is this, it's, it's not a currently running show, but it's basically this town full of geniuses and all this stuff. And anyway, I've, I've only watched a couple of episodes, but I've really been enjoying that. So I'm going to shout out about that as well. It is on Amazon prime. If I remember right, that's where I'm watching it. So pick that one too. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. So I would like to, I would like to give a, you know, first of all, I would like to give a huge shout out to the entire Ada Academy community, the alumni, the teachers, the staff, and all of my colleagues who are walking the path and doing and finding their own voice in technology. I also want to do a huge shout out to everyone who's not part of that community and trying to find their voice and starting out in technology. And one of the things, this kind of goes back to what I was talking earlier a little bit, is if you find someone that you look up to, either via an open source community or via tech Twitter or other kinds of communities that you are part of, especially nowadays, where most of our social contact is on the internet, reach out to them and ask them if they might be willing to collaborate with you on a project. I have several people that I pair program with on a regular basis. This, this, is not, this is not an invitation to reach out to me personally because I am currently incredibly busy, but this is an invitation to reach out to others and do some work together because it can unblock you. It can lead to interesting conversations. It can lead to you just cribbing on their favorite, you know, shortcuts using bash. Um, right. I just want in general, I want technology to be more of a community process. And that means getting together with other humans and sharing the work. In real time. Yeah. Yeah. And if we have time, I can share one more story about Do it. Do a it. sticker. Okay. So a few years ago, while I was in boot camp, GitHub put out these stickers with the Octocat in all sorts of different roles. I, I don't know. There's like one with like you know, there are tons of those. There, there's so many of them. There's one yeah. eating ice cream. There's just like one on the computer in a hoodie. And there was the Octomom sticker, which is a Octocat with three Octokittens. And she is on a computer typing while also trying to like keep her three kids out of trouble. They're spilling food and breaking toys all over and around her. And when I was in programming school, I was the single mom of a five-year-old. And I saw that sticker, somebody just brought a pack to school and I saw that sticker and it spoke to my soul. 
and I put it on my laptop. And then later I attended my first tech conference, KubeCon Austin, and had a booth there. And I walked up to the booth and I said, hey, I just landed my first job and my new work computer does not have the sticker on it. And I need that sticker. You know, the one, the one with the mom and the three kittens and the person at the booth who was uh, Sydney Miller, who is an amazing talent partner, by the way, shout out there. Hi, Sydney. She, she said, oh yeah, I totally know that sticker. And then she looked through her stack and she didn't have it. And she kept searching the entire booth and she couldn't find it. And then she said, you know what? I'm just going to send you the entire pack of stickers and some extra swag. How old's your kid? And she sent, you know, so she sent a swag pack to my house. I I was not working at GitHub at this time at all. And so that was really cool. So I had that sticker on my laptop. And then a few months later, I got a message from that same person, Sydney, saying like, hey, so... uh, I uh, I was wondering if you might be interested in working at GitHub. Uh, remember me from KubeCon. <laughs> and so that it had turned out that my then manager had talked to Sydney about, hey, this person looks interesting. Can we hire her? And Sydney said, oh my God, I know her. So it was because of a sticker maybe that I have my current job. And this is kind of why I'm saying Don't be afraid to reach out to people and make connections, even over the silliest things, because we all need to be silly sometimes. And we all have moments where we're being productive and useful and silliness can lead to other things and vice versa. So you should own it. You should go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, you know, just to back up onto that, I mean... I can't tell you how many opportunities have come my way just from the people that I've met, people that I've gotten to know, sometimes through podcasts, sometimes at conferences, sometimes because we were speaking at the same event, sometimes because I went to a local meetup and we just wound up chatting, right? Yeah. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It doesn't have to be a little thing. It just has to be a human thing. Right, right. And and I do think that is the secret sauce that we need when we build teams, when we give support, and also when we build tools for people, because somebody who doesn't feel comfortable with you is never going to share with you what they really need from your tool. They're going to make demands and you're going to tell them no, because you don't like to be treated that way. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So it's, it's, it's funny to me how when I was in music school, I had a harpsichord teacher who was extremely soft-spoken and extremely experimental. And Uh it never felt like she was actually teaching me specifics when I was in a lesson with her. And then I came out of my lesson and a few days later, things just magically started clicking and I sounded Uh better and I wasn't even entirely sure what had happened. It was just this weird thing where I trusted her. So she didn't have to waste a whole lot of time explaining why she wanted me to do something a certain way. (laughs) It was, it was, it was, I thought it was magic at the time, but now I look back and I'm like, nope, nope. That, that was just, 
realizing that the human connections are ultimately what makes this work. So true. That is so true. All right. Well, yeah, we're getting close to the end of our time, but I really appreciate you coming on and chatting with us. I'm sorry that Jeff had to jump off, but this was really great. And hopefully people get some ideas about how they can, you know, work with and through their infrastructure and platform teams or personnel and make it work with their developers and other contributors to really just, you know, pull things together. Because a lot of times I know organizations have problems getting the two groups to work well together. And there's just been a ton of terrific advice in here. So thank you for that. Yeah, sure. I I really, really enjoy what I do. And I would want everyone to have this opportunity to work together like this. It's, you know, not every day is perfect. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> and not every question I get is friendly. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when it is, it's just the best because then it just becomes a fun puzzle that you work out together. And it is my true belief that this is also the best way, the, not, just, not just the nicest way, but the most efficient and effective way of working together and mm-hmm. approaching infrastructure. Makes sense. All right. Well, folks, we're going to end it here. And until next time, Max out. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.